Hi there, and welcome to In My Words, Jumo Health's podcast series that brings the experiences of real patients directly to you. At Jumo, we provide resources for children and families to help them understand, manage, and own their health. Learn more at jumohealth.com. This episode has been kindly supported by MS Australia and is sponsored by Roche Australia. A healthy life to me with MS means doing what I'd always planned to do and intended to do and wanted to do anyway, and just taking a few extra moments every day to make sure I've planned it appropriately so I can do everything. Hi listeners, I'm Alyssa and welcome to another episode on multiple sclerosis. Those were the words of Astrid Edwards, who we heard from in our previous episode when she shared her story about living with multiple sclerosis. Today, we're back in Australia with Astrid and Dr. Parrott, a neurologist at Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney, talking about the management of MS. MS can be complicated to manage. There is the underlying disease activity in the central nervous system, MS symptoms people may need to contend with on a daily basis and during relapses, and also the mental health impact. The various facets of MS are typically managed with a layered approach. Treatment with medicine, supportive therapies, lifestyle changes, and support networks all play a part in helping people with MS live well, and this is what we're here to discuss today. Dr. Parrott will share his clinical perspective on MS to give us a glimpse of what is involved for someone managing their condition. Astrid talks openly about her symptoms and how she manages them and shares with us what it means to her to live a healthy life. We'll start where many people begin with their MS journey, with the physical and mental changes that MS can cause in the body. The typical symptoms of MS include a wide variety, but fatigue is probably up there as one of the most common. Sensory symptoms, so that's numbness, tingling, and pain. Sometimes weakness and balance disturbance. Sometimes visual disturbance. And sometimes change in other bodily functions, such as the bladder and the bowel. There are instances in MS where cognitive function can be affected as well, but more commonly people just complain of a fogginess, you know, a brain fog as it's called, rather than an overt cognitive problem. And that symptom along with fatigue varies day to day and that's quite tricky to deal with. Astrid's MS symptoms change day to day, but fatigue is a big one for her. Fatigue is difficult to quantify and categorize and At least at the beginning, it's difficult to tell if I'm just tired because I did a lot today or this is fatigue setting in and I'll be like this for a few weeks. So fatigue is the big one and that just means I have to ration my energy each day. And it's difficult to explain to others because I look how I would otherwise look without being fatigued. So, you know, I suspect sometimes there's a sneaking suspicion from others that I'm just tired like everybody else and it's no different. But That's incorrect. I have multiple sclerosis and fatigue is simply different. I'm no doctor, but it's medical grade for want of a better word. Astrid has other symptoms of MS and all of them are invisible. They are the ones you can feel, but others cannot see. They include numbness, tingling, burning. They include issues with my proprioception, which is me knowing where my limbs are in space. 
These changes to Astrid's senses can make it harder for her to interact with the physical world and move about in crowded settings. I have a tendency to not only drop glasses, particularly with my left hand, but I walk into walls. I walk into lift doors. I'm not very good on an escalator. So moving things sometimes can be distressing for me. I've actually had a few instances where I've been on a busy street and everybody moving, which is totally normal. That's what happens on a busy street, is difficult for me. And I will have to go into a shop and just kind of figure out where my limbs are in order to get home or to get back to work. Astrid also experiences heat sensitivity. So cold is okay for me randomly, but changes in temperature in heat, I find very, very difficult. So I'm okay in a hot environment, but I'm not okay going from an average environment outside. A quick change of temperature, like getting on a tram in summer or going from inside air conditioning to a hot day outside, that change, it's very distressing for me. So I tend to kind of avoid that or plan around it. Another invisible MS symptom is neuropathic pain, which is pain caused by nerve damage or by a disease affecting the nervous system in the body. Another thing that I do experience with multiple sclerosis is neuropathic pain, often in my limbs and joints, elbows, knees, ankles, and it can be really quite, well, it's painful, but it can be also draining and tiring and it's really hard to deal with because, I mean, what do you do? Take a painkiller? Like, that's not a great life strategy. So normally it's just about sitting through it. And I often, you know, find myself in a meeting in a bit of pain and no one would ever know. So the neuropathic pain can feel quite isolating. And I don't often talk about it because I find people don't know how to respond. So it's something I'm learning to deal with. The symptoms Astrid is talking about are some of the more challenging symptoms and complications of MS that can be quite tricky to manage. Fatigue is quite difficult to treat. There's no specific drugs that have been designed for MS fatigue. And so it revolves around very good general treatment and managing fatigue. Sometimes pain, because pain can be a daily experience and often the medications that are used for pain can cause drowsiness and other side effects. So it's a little bit of a balancing act in that respect. And then over and above that, any, I suppose, long-standing problem that may have led to some physical or cognitive difficulty can be tricky to manage. So it has to be, if you like, amalgamated into that person's life whether that be a physical impediment or a cognitive one. But suffice to say, there's lots of support and adjunctive treatments for those sort of problems. When it comes to coping with her MS symptoms, Astrid has learned to listen to her body and above everything, she rests and takes it easy when she needs to. MS symptoms are unpredictable, so I can be anywhere and they can just start. So over time, I've become more comfortable with them. I don't like them, but I have an idea of what I can get away with and what I can put my body through and what I can't. In general, I manage by simply leaving early or by, you know, staying home on the weekend and resting. That doesn't fix them or cure them. It just, a little bit of rest gives me probably the mental strength emotional strength, and I think a bit of physical strength just to deal with them as such. While the unpredictable nature of MS symptoms can be frustrating, Astrid offers some advice to our listeners when it comes to dealing with their own symptoms. Everybody's MS symptoms are different. 
and everybody's MS symptoms change over time. It's really inconsistent. So my advice is get familiar with your own symptoms and they will be different than mine and they will be different from potentially every other person with MS you ever meet. So get familiar with your own symptoms and figure out what you need for them. And also don't be surprised or distressed when something random happens to your body because that will happen. So maybe think about it in advance. An essential part of managing MS is treating the disease with medicine. Well, our aim, at least, is by and large to stop MS activity. So we're looking to stop the inflammation in the brain and the spine, and that stops or at least reduces a lot of the time any risk of progression of nerve damage, and it stops clinical episodes, so it stops symptoms from occurring as well. Nowadays, there are many different types of medicines for MS. It's a big change over the last 10 years. I mean, the first medications were about 25 years ago, but there's an incremental increase over the last 5 to 10 years. And they range in potency and risk. So there are older, lower potency medications that are generally taken as self-injections. There are moderate or middle potency medicines, which are often tablets. And then there's the higher potency treatments, which are usually infusions. All medicines, including those for MS, may cause side effects. They have varying hazards depending upon the nature of the particular treatment, but it can include viral infections or other unusual or opportunistic infections and sometimes irritation of other organs such as the liver or rarely the kidneys. Side effects can be very closely monitored and some can be prevented. As a general rule, and this is general, the risk of the treatments increases with their potency, but suffice to say, all of those risks can be very well mitigated against. And particularly in Australia, there's a strong move towards highly effective treatment, giving people the best treatment possible right from the beginning of the condition. Time matters when it comes to treating MS, and as Dr. Parrott explains, the current approach for treating people with MS is to start them on medication right away. People with MS start medication very quickly after the diagnosis. That's the general concept, not only in Australia, but also worldwide. It's recognized that the earlier that treatment has started, the less damage is done to the nervous system. And so there's a strong idea to move forward after the diagnosis quickly with an appropriate treatment for that person. And there's some decision making around that. But in essence, it starts more or less straight away after the diagnosis. Astrid was diagnosed with MS six years ago in 2013 and started her MS treatment about one year later. The reason why I started after a year was my neurologist actually invited me to join a trial, which was for people diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, but before they'd started medication. And I was a little bit scared of taking medication and I did go in the trial. And then I was kicked out of the trial because I had another MS relapse. And at that point, I'm like, okay, it's time for medication, which is one of the best decisions I've made. Once you make the decision to treat your MS, the next step is to speak with your doctor about a medication that is most suitable for you. It can be slightly difficult to choose and decide the right treatment for an individual, but 
there are several factors that are involved. The first is the demographics of that person, so their age, their sex, whether they have had a family yet or not, their job. And then in addition to that, and probably over and above that, the level of risk of the MS to that person. And we make a judgment on that based on the symptoms and signs that the condition has caused to that point and the effect that MS has had on the brain and spine to that point. So often we'll be able to determine the hazard of that MS for that person. And that then dictates a group of treatments from which that person may select one in particular. Deciding on when to start MS treatment and determining which treatment is right for you is a big decision. Talk to your doctor to come up with the best plan for you. Ask questions and voice your concerns because the more you know, the better informed you will be. As Dr. Parrott tells us, most people benefit from MS treatment. So most patients do find relief and success with treatment. As I was saying before, there are different treatments for different people. So there's quite an array of medications that people are on, but the aim is always to try to stop all MS activity. So stop relapses from happening, stop the MRI from changing and stop any change in the person's physical condition. Most of the time that is achievable. It's just different drugs for different people. So different strengths depending upon the extent of the MS, but it's often achievable. Over the past five years, Astrid has taken a few different medications. So a year after I was diagnosed with MS, I started taking a tablet. And then two years after that, I, upon the recommendation of my neurologist, switched to a different tablet. And then two years ago, I went for an infusion therapy. So since starting treatment, I have been on three and I think I'm pretty happy now. Starting her MS treatment changed Astrid's life for the better. I've had multiple sclerosis for six years and the year that I was the sickest was the first year when I was not on medication. I have had relapses since and I have been ill. I have relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis after all, but my quality of life has improved significantly since starting medication. And if for any reason the current medication I'm on, you know, started to give me side effects or feel uncomfortable, I would change to a different one. I would not stop medication. I don't want to go back to what it was like the first year. For Astrid, taking medication has made a huge difference to her well-being. On top of medication to stop the MS activity, there are many additional therapies and treatments available to help people with MS. There are treatments for the symptoms of MS, so there's treatments for pain, there's treatments for stiffness and spasms, there's treatments actually to try to improve the speed of some functions, such as walking. There are even some treatments to try to help with fatigue, even though they're not perfect, as I mentioned earlier, but there are some treatments in that respect. And over and above that, there's a lot of concentrated and very effective allied health treatments. So physiotherapy, you know, massage therapy, exercise therapy, relaxation, psychology. So there's a lot of really high quality help out there in terms of dealing with symptoms and scenarios related to MS. MS medication is the only official treatment that Astrid takes for MS. She also uses one supportive therapy in particular. As often as I can, I actually get remedial massage. Again, not because it cures anything, but I find a mental and emotional relief with all of the 
sensory things that I experienced, the burning, the tingling, the numbness, it reminds me that my limb is there. Managing MS involves a multidisciplinary team approach. My healthcare team is my neurologist, my MS nurse, and my GP, and of course, my partner, who often knows how well I'm doing before I do. While the core healthcare team is typically made up of a neurologist, an MS specialist nurse who works with the neurologist, and the GP, your GP may be one of the most important resources you have when it comes to managing your MS. I really trust my GP. It took me a while to find a GP that I was comfortable with that took my MS symptoms seriously, I have to say. But now that I have found the GP who looks after me because I'm a human and get all sorts of things wrong with me, but also will really work with me to see that if I'm experiencing a symptom, kind of try to confirm if it's MS or if it's something else, because I have discovered that just because I have MS doesn't mean something else won't happen to me. So a GP is a really essential part of keeping me going. Your healthcare team may include other allied health professionals too. Often there's a physio, so an outpatient physio will be involved in the care of that person or perhaps these days an exercise physiologist, someone that can help the person to be fit and build strength. And then perhaps over and above that, psychologist, sometimes a social worker, sometimes a caseworker if necessary, but depending upon the needs of that person. How frequently you visit your healthcare team will depend on your individual needs. I like to see members of my healthcare team as little as possible because when I see them, it means that I'm probably feeling ill. That's a bit of a flippant statement, but the schedule is I see my neurologist and my MS nurse twice a year. And I also, obviously, when I go to the hospital for my treatment, see some medical professionals then. MS medications and supportive therapies can help someone with MS manage their condition and their symptoms and help them live well with MS. Lifestyle changes can also help some people feel better and make it easier for them to deal with their symptoms. So I think people with MS need to not only have the medication to stop the condition, but probably they gain benefits from lifestyle changes as well. So I think people with MS, if they have a low-fat diet, a diet that's rich in vitamins, all the nutrients that are required, and they keep generally quite lean and healthy, that makes a difference to the condition. That makes a difference to their well-being on a day-to-day basis, but also probably on the outcome of MS in the longer term. Certainly that's been shown to some degree in the pre-drug era, and is probably true to this day. Astrid tried a few lifestyle changes that didn't stick, but one that has made the greatest difference to her physically and emotionally is eating well. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I have some kind of extraordinarily perfect diet, but I just feel like the more real foods I eat, the less symptoms I have. Now, again, let me be clear, I don't think my diet's ever going to cure MS, but I feel physically more hearty. And I think that that just puts me in a better position to deal with my MS symptoms. Beyond healthy eating, there are other lifestyle changes that people can make after being diagnosed with MS. Exercise is a really big one. So undertaking some form of aerobic exercise is really good for mental health and also physical health. So it makes a difference. There's even some suggestion that aerobic exercise may be an anti-inflammatory in itself in certain studies. So broadly speaking, aerobic exercise is recommended. Strengthening exercise can be particularly good for 
people who have certain challenges, perhaps balance issues or some weakness in the legs or the arms. And in that instance, focused exercise therapy can be really good to try to improve function. I think over and above that and diet, taking time out, as Astrid said, from time to time, just resting at periods, relaxation therapy, massages, and taking vitamin D. Taking vitamin D is the other one that we'd recommend as neurologists over and above the anti-inflammatory medications that we use. Making changes to your lifestyle, whether it is eating healthy whole foods, exercising, reducing your stress, or quitting smoking can take time. Start with one small change and build from there. And remember, consistent steps over the long run will have the biggest impact on your life. In our last episode, we touched on the topic of mental health and learned that MS is associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety and mania than in the general population. People with MS can manage their mental health by, if they can, I mean it's hard, you know, it's hard to get a handle on it oneself, but if they can approach it head on, that probably makes a difference. So if they feel a mental health symptom, then trying to have that assessed and treated as soon as possible is a good thing. It's better for quality of life. So anxiety or depression or any such symptom, if they recognize that, then they should ideally go to their healthcare provider sooner rather than later. And that's probably going to be their GP in the first instance, but GPs are excellent at that and they can create care plans, mental health care plans, which include support from psychologists. So thinking about MS and its symptoms in the future in different ways, but perhaps even medication if one's mood is low or they're anxious. So there's lots of facility to treat mental health issues in MS, but it's just a matter of recognizing it and then taking it to the right people. It can be hard to face your mental health problems head on. If you are struggling with depression or anxiety, start a conversation with your doctor or reach out to someone close to you. There are also a number of other organisations who can support you, like MS Australia. Everyone deals with MS in their own way. You may find it helpful to take time out to do something you love when you feel down. For Astrid, one of the most helpful things she does is immerses herself in books and finds comfort and inspiration in reading. I'm a reader and a writer. And when I was first diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I went to Amazon and I bought every single MS memoir I could find. Mostly I found them distressing. So once I stopped doing that, I started to look for books about not just illness, but books about kind of getting on with life. And when I feel a bit down, I often go to them. So they're not always books about multiple sclerosis. And in most cases, they're not. But I find solace and a bit of encouragement actually by reading. Now that's just me. Other people get that by, I don't know, going for a long run or walking in the park or whatnot. But yeah, highly recommend it. While turning to books is one way Astrid copes with her MS, she also talks about the importance of confiding in those close to her. Another thing that is really useful is being honest with those close to me. And that was really difficult, you know, for the first two or three years. So while I recommend doing it, I don't think it works the first time you try. But now 
I've created and the people around me have created a really safe space for me to be ill if I happen to be ill. And that takes away a lot of the mental and emotional stress that can come with not being in a great space physically. Having a strong support network of family, friends, members of your healthcare team, and even others who are living with MS, people you can count on, can make a big difference to your well-being when you have MS. So I think a support system is really, really important for someone with MS because at certain times they're going to be troubled by something. It may be a particular symptom, it may be a certain life event, it may be a combination of those two things. And it may seem extra difficult to get through that. I mean, extra difficult over and above the average person. So contending with fatigue and pain and some major life events can really seem like a mountain. And in those circumstances, having a personal support network is a great thing because one has people to lean on, obviously, and help through difficult times, but also that professional network that I mentioned before. And that can work really, really well if it's used quickly and used in the appropriate way. And it's just a matter of finding one's voice and taking that forward to someone that can help. It takes courage to open up to those around you. Sometimes you may not have any close family or friends to turn to. So for someone that doesn't have the right family unit or group of friends to support them in their MS, they can look to broader support networks and specifically I'm talking about the MS Society and other societal networks. So there are mentoring programs, there are one-to-one programs, there are Facebook pages, there's other social media pages where people with MS get together and help each other and look after each other. So there's a wide array of opportunities to talk to supportive people And it's probably just a matter really mainly of getting online or contacting one's local MS society or local MS clinic to get the first little avenue in the right direction. A note for our listeners. Dr. Parrott mentions MS society, but is referring to the MS organizations in each state and territory. These organizations provide a wealth of services, information and support to people living with MS. To find the MS organisation nearest to you, please visit the map on MS Australia's homepage and click on the state where you live. Everyone's journey with MS is different. If you have MS, it is a part of who you are, but it does not define you. With current treatment and support, it is possible for you to focus on what matters most and live a healthy life with MS. Living a healthy life with MS is kind of a contradiction in terms. It's hard to feel healthy if, you know, you've got a diagnosis with multiple sclerosis and you've seen what your MRI scans look like. That said, a healthy life to me with MS means doing what I'd always planned to do and intended to do and wanted to do anyway, and just taking a few extra moments every day to make sure I've planned it appropriately so I can do everything. Once again, thank you, Astrid, for sharing your story with us. You have shown us that by understanding and working with your MS, treating it appropriately and being open and honest with those closest to you, it is possible to move forward, living life on your own terms. And thank you, Dr. Parrott, for telling our listeners about the treatments and resources available to people with MS and for your advice on how to live well with MS. Finally, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this In My Words podcast on MS. We hope you have enjoyed it. Until next time.
This episode was created using excerpts from our interviews with Astrid Edwards and Dr. John Parrott. The views expressed in the podcast are based on the clinical experience of the presenters and are not necessarily endorsed by Roche Australia. For further information regarding MS and the conditions, diagnosis, treatments and management, please refer to the references listed in the show notes or speak to a healthcare provider. Thanks for listening. Interested in hearing something special or want us to help share your story? Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. The health information contained in this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace discussions with a healthcare provider. In My Words is produced in New York City and distributed worldwide. In My Words, a Jumo production.